Come on. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right. Welcome to Money Savage, your savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Denise Logan. Denise, are you ready to do this? I am. Hello, George. Hello. Let's do this. Denise is an executive transition coach. She is a keynote speaker and the author of The Seller's Journey. I'm excited to have you back on. Denise, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Thanks, George. I call myself the seller whisperer, and that came about in my early life. I was a mental health professional and then a lawyer, and I watched deals going sideways for all the things that weren't being said. And so 10 years ago, I started working one-on-one with business owners, helping them prepare for the exit of their business, but not the financial or transactional part, the emotional part of how they get ready to let go. Nice. I appreciate that. So mental health meets attorney and now coaching people through managing their mental health of, of, of making a big transition. So we are talking on, on April fool's day on April 1st in the, 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 the midst of the coronavirus, And we are making jokes about some of the things that we might have to do should push really come to shove. But these feelings of uncertainty and anxiety and confusion and everything else that we're experiencing right now, that's very much probably similar to what people are going through as they're considering selling a business. Yeah, it is. You know, so often we focus on the transactional part of selling a business, how much money, who will handle the legal work, who will be the banker. And what I've seen over and over is that this is for an owner, it's a transition, way more than it's a transaction. So the statistics show that less than one third of businesses that go to the market actually sell, which is a tragedy. That means that two-thirds of companies on their attempt to sell, either the deal falls apart or the owner pulls back. And so I'm focused in my work on helping those deals keep going forward. And sometimes it's because of the uncertainty of an owner. Sometimes it's because of something that happens in the transaction. But as we were thinking about today's call and our, our conversation I was thinking about how often I see an owner in the middle of the process, all of the uncertainty that's coming up around the sale can trip off their emotions, but also the emotions of the other parties who are involved in the sale. Got it. And when you see the other parties who are involved, is that family members, business partners? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So often involved in the sale of a business, we usually have a banker or a broker a lawyer, an accountant, um, 
the business partners, if there are some, family members, employees, all of those people on each side of the transaction. So if we think about it, every owner will leave their business at some point, voluntarily or involuntarily. Right. And too often, I watch folks wait until there's a crisis and they either have to leave or they stay in denial about ever having to leave. I'll often hear an owner say, well, if I sell my business, I'm always like, hmm, well, you will leave your business at some point. Why not make that be an orderly process where you've thought about what it's like to let go? If I sell my business, is that just... Is there a, a is there a, a psychological term for that? Is it just denial? Is it just I've really never actually thought about this? Like really? Yeah, it's definitely. So we we can liken this to mortality issues. As a culture, we will often hear people say, "If I die," where <laughs> uh, that, we that, know that's a good point. It's when not if. And yet as a culture, we have trained ourselves to think about an eternal path as if we will never have to step off. And so with a business often, you know, I think about when a business opens, we have grand opening celebrations and we focus really well on what happens at the beginning. And owners are often motivated throughout the process toward a sale and harvesting the wealth from their business. But as they get closer to all of those things that the business has served, those needs stay intact. So here's an example. I often will say to an owner when I start working with them, <clears throat> so what does work provide you? And if we think about work, and this applies to any of us, who are in any type of job, what does work provide you? Money is often the very first thing that comes up. So yeah, it provides a, a sense of wealth. Yeah. But what else? Like for you, George, what does work provide? Yeah, I think I, I think that I, I would say that I find meaning in responsibility. So my resp I'm responsible professionally, so I'd say that it gives me meaning as well. Mm -hmm. And for many people, it provides a sense of connection. Mm -hmm. It's the their customers or employees are their friends. Um, it We should be able to come up with 12 to 15 items that work provides for us. And as we get deeper into the conversation with an owner, some of the more, I'll say the things that we can have some shame around receiving from our work start to show up, like power, control, Right. For those of us who are home with kids, we know that at home you tell your kids to do something. They don't necessarily do it. Not not every time. <laughs> yeah. And at work, if you tell them to do something, they typically do it. Right. And so there is a sense of all of those things that an owner receives from their business or anyone who's working. Those needs continue to remain after they leave their business. So as we get closer to the end of a sale, those needs start to percolate up for an owner. So 
what a powerful question that is. And I mean, <laughs> as you're talking, it's it's such a clear thing. But if 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 you don't ask yourself the right questions, then you're you're not gonna be able to come up with those answers. And we're typically focused on the money. So it's how much will I get from my business? So what we see is as an owner gets closer to the end and those start percolating up, if they don't have somewhere safe to have those conversations about where will I get these needs met elsewise, they start to pull away from the deal. We watch it as um, a come here, go away move. So an owner will start approaching and avoiding approaching and avoiding and often what's going on under the surface is something like that so i'll give can i give you an example please so i was working with um and this can happen whether we're older or younger or our business is newer or older so this was a 37 year old owner in california he had a software company he was set to net 16 million dollars on the other side of the sale and a few weeks before closing, he started doing some things that were a little squirrely. And so I pulled him aside and was like, hey, Michael, what's happening? <laughs> and we went for a walk. And then he said to me, you know, I realize all my friends have jobs. And when I sell my business, who am I going to hang out with? Hmm. And he had said this to his best friend. And his best friend said to him, Boo-hoo, dude. I wish I had your sad little $16 million problem. The problem didn't go away. It just went underground and became covered with shame. And then he started acting it out in the transaction. So once we were able to talk about it and look at it and say, huh, okay, well, how will we solve for that problem? What will the first week after sale look like? What will the first month or three months or one year Because we often hear owners say, I'll golf and travel. And I go, yep, for 10 weeks. Right. (laughs) And then what's going to fill that? We also see owners show up where I call this relational grief, where they have dreamt of the time when the business is sold and they and their spouse will, you know, go off into the sunset, they'll, they'll, travel, they'll have whatever this life is. And as they get close to the end, they realize, oh, I don't know if I want to do it with you, Mm. or we don't have anything in common. Often in that place, we can relate it to when our kids launch to college, especially parents with young children are like, yeah, when will that take? (laughs) (laughs) Or if you've got early teens at home, you're like, when will that day come? But as it gets closer, most of us struggle with our children leaving home. And we prepare our children to leave home. We don't just wake up on the day they're 18 and say, so what do you got planned for your life? Right. And yet there's this illusion that somehow as business owners, we will know how to launch. We will know how to let go and step into the place that's what's next. For many of our owners, that feels like a black hole. And they call it that. It's a void. I don't know what I'll be. Hmm. I don't know who I'll be. It's 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 fascinating that you said something like seventy percent of businesses that attempt to sell the the transaction is not successful, and there's all these folks who are 
theoretically speaking, helping this 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 process from attorneys and accountants, and I imagine there's probably many parties on both sides. Yet, they probably are aware of these statistics, and you would think that they would be more proactive in having these kinds of conversations. You know, some of the challenges, um, I think, you can only do for others what you've done for yourself. So have you looked at this issue for yourself? Have you thought about what it will be like? It's one of the reasons why the uncertainty that's going on right now as people are home or struggling around the coronavirus time is really relevant. Many people are at home and they're like, I couldn't do this. Oh, heck no, do not leave me (laughs) stuck here at home. And we hear people saying, when do we get back to normal? And often I'll say, was normal really that great? Did you like commuting two and a half hours a day? Did you like not seeing your kids tucked in at night? But what we're experiencing right now is many people are noticing, whether they have language for it or not, What they're missing right now are those things that work provides for them. A lot of the anxiety and tension is focused on the money. Oh my gosh, how will I pay my bills? What's going to happen? Will my business fail? Will I be able to pay my mortgage? That economic fear is the one that we often gravitate to, even during the time of exiting our businesses. So a lot of the attention gets focused on the valuation and how much are we getting for the business? When these are the things that people are struggling with right now at home, high levels of uncertainty. What does life look like on the other side of this? Yeah, hmm. that's fascinating. So you mentioned that there's really 12 to 15 items that people will commonly come up with, with money being the first one. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's the connection to your coworkers. It's it's a community. It's fun. It's challenging. Um, it's a place to go. It's just a it's a physical right? place to go. It's a place to go. Your spouse may be like, yeah, like when at closing time at the bar, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Sometimes right. our spouses are like, you don't have to go to work, but you can't stay here. Yeah, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And, 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 and then there's also, I, I suppose there's probably shame around that at, at, at every level, people are probably feeling guilty, probably that maybe they're not having as good of a time at home as they thought that they would. Yeah, right now we're experiencing it. And, and often an owner who hasn't prepared for this will experience it. I have a client uh, in Miami who has been one year since he sold his business. And one of the challenges in, originally he thought, oh, I'll be on the beach, I'll play volleyball, I'll surf. And the first several months, he really struggled with letting himself do any of that. So I talked about having grand opening celebrations when a business opens. When a business sells, Frequently, there's a closing dinner, and that dinner is about celebrating the transaction being closed. It's usually focused on the bankers and lawyers and what a great job they did. Right. Over in the corner is our owner feeling like, oh, it's over. 
And unlike, I don't know, George, you're a little younger than I am, so you may not have ever done a house closing like this. It used to be that we would go to the closing table, the buyer and the seller, and the documents would move around the table and each person would sign and pass the pen to the other person. And then at the end, there would actually be a transfer of keys or documents. Um, in early life, there was also a check that transferred. That doesn't happen anymore. People are not even at the closing table together. All the documents are done by DocuSign. It's all done by email. Someone sends you a code to get in your new house. Yeah. You don't even feel the key. There's a permanence to selling a business, and we're missing some of the process around it that helps to make it formal and real and celebratory so that we are launching this person into a better part of their life. The bulk of the reason why businesses don't close is something called seller's remorse. So the seller gets close to the end and either pulls out and doesn't close the transaction or does sell and feels huge regret on the other side. It doesn't have to be that way. It absolutely doesn't. Got it. They just need to do the work. <laughs> and they need helpers that will do that work with them. Yeah. So, you know, that's not just a pitch for the work that I do. I wrote the book, The Seller's Journey, predominantly as a way to help people think about doing this in a more humane way. <clears throat> to really look at what's going on underneath the surface of every sale. So that the banker, the lawyer, the owner, the wealth manager are involved in understanding what's happening. Because if we don't understand the emotions of ourselves and the other people in the process, we can discount those. We can think that someone is just being difficult. We can think that someone is being a flake and pulling out when really what they're signaling is their level of emotional distress. Got it. I think that, that makes all the sense in the world. So, well, Denise, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Ah, remember that this is a transition, not a transaction. And what waits on the other side for us, both in this coronavirus time and in the process of selling a business, is different. But it's also up to us to make it better. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets Come on. Come on. Denise, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of the book? Yeah, my website is deniselogan.com, and the book is called The Seller's Journey. It's available on my website at deniselogan.com. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Denise your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to deniselogan.com. Check Pick up a copy of the book, whether you are somebody who is a business owner, you're a professional advisor, I think it will help you to better move through these transitions. Thank you again, Denise. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. <laughs>